I V M. Folks, welcome to Paisa Paisa. I'm your host Arubham Gupta, B50 on Twitter. Happy New Year, guys! We are starting this New Year with a big, big episode. My guests, Prashant Kemko and Ashish Somaya of White Oak. We are talking about the changing landscape of mutual funds in India. How that's going to impact you in this New Year? All of that and much more, including a slightly nerdy, geeky part also to this episode. Right after this short break. And welcome back. Okay, folks, short intro to our guest. Prashant Kimka is founder. White Oak, a veteran in financial services. Prior to White Oak, Prashant had a storied career at Goldman Sachs globally as well as in India. Prashant started White Oak in 2017 and White Oak has many products like in PMS, AIF and of course, they launched their maiden mutual fund last year. Ajit Shobhaya, of course, friend of Pesa Vesa, CEO at White Oak Capital Management and of course, the returning guest. After a really long time, he was here in 2018, which seems like some 200-300 years ago. Gentlemen, welcome to Paisa Paisa. Thank you so much for doing this for all Thanks, Prashant. Thanks, Ashish. Thank you, Anima. Pleasure to be here. I'm absolutely honored. You know, the first episode of this New Year to have such awesome guests. Good to have you here. Thanks. Ashish, welcome back. Long time here. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. Great. So, Prashant, I'll start with you. You know, given the kind of experience you've had in managing money previously when you were at Goldman and when you came to India in 2006 as part of Goldman and here we are in 2023. How has India done this entire journey of their money? You know, you've seen this now for a very long period of time. Mutual funds, PMS, AIF. How do you think we're shaping out? So I think if you look at where India is in its development journey, economic development journey, and when you compare it to countries around the world at similar uh, stages, uh, I would say the participation rate is uh, fairly good. Obviously, it has a cyclical element and a structural element. So cyclical element uh, ebbs and flows depending on how the market does. So right now the participation rate is increasing which is great. But structurally also if you see it has been almost ever increasing. Uh, if you will obviously at Harshad Mehta time it went to a very high peak then went to very uh, low bottom and then each subsequent cycle the highs and bottoms have been higher highs and higher bottoms in terms of participation uh, rate. So as India the standards of living increase, uh, income levels increase, the savings increase and once the savings increase people would start wondering whether to deploy them and more and more will uh, people every bull run will discover the equity market and yeah. they would flow in either direct or through MFs. Yeah, well, I mean, what what are the kind of conversations you have today with people when it comes to managing their money and the investment as compared to say I don't know something in 2006 or maybe 2000 in the 90s when you had your career then at, at Goldman. What I mean is there a maturity that you can see from investors here in India? No definitely it's uh, much evolved over the last 15 years. You know the wealth management industry and the mutual fund distributor industry is far evolved compared to 15-20 years ago and they've done a very good job educating. So the discussions are now more about you know asset allocation. Uh, obviously we don't have those discussions, the distribution partners have those discussions. It's far more mature. Earlier it was like um, you know your neighbor or your relative mm-hmm. who was in the stock market quote unquote uh, you will trust their advice and appoint them as uh, you know signatory to the account and they would then play in the equity market when equity market is doing good and um, you know, as often happened during the bust time there'll be uh, a large loss and the investor would uh, swear would not enter the equity market again these things I think started changing post or obviously they've been ever changing but really picked up momentum and scale I would say somewhere in the last 10 years where you've seen huge wealth platforms getting created very large MF distribution platforms getting created and that's been to the benefit of uh, the investors first and foremost besides yeah. the participants in the industry. Yeah. 
journey that you both of you were discussing what has also happened in the process is that the industry and the participants and especially prashant was referring to investors and intermediaries channel partners i think both of them apart from the many other developments they become very meritocratic so i'll give you an example i started my career as a trainee uh, somewhere in 1998 at that time our conversation on a mutual fund started with what is debt what is equity why not to put your money in small savings product why consider capital markets after a long conversation you would arrive at okay so mutual fund is the way to participate and then they wanted to just hear couple of big household names and if you didn't fall into one of those names then they would say you know not comfortable but today it's become very meritocratic so people have understood that it's a service provider and the fund management capability uh, the people behind the professionalization the professional setup uh, their track records so if you have track record or if, and if there is a perceived ability uh, to deliver performance uh, then people are very happy to engage the other thing is that you know now performances for example our conversations they are all in the digital ecosystem so maturity has made it meritocratic and at the same time availability of diverse medium for communication has also made it more democratic uh, so i think that industry has changed uh, for the better and you know we are i am very excited frankly yeah. i want to pick up on that diverse modes of you know, the diverse medium to communicate prashant because um the entire field of valuations investments and how you assess a business and, and all that used to be an area which used to be slightly restricted to professional you know i used to be on the sell side you have of course been in the buy side for the longest time and concepts like valuations and all that used to be stuff that people who are in the business would know today though now you can find dcf on instagram also you can find threads of dcf on twitter also and it has become it is probably matured and maybe that's a good thing with that background i want to understand this very you know and that's the part folks that i spoke about with the nerdy geeky part about the opco finco model that you've got with that thing is very very unique because the conversation that we have normally with people is about buy at any price you know about quality at reasonable price i really like or rather i want to go a little bit in depth about the opco finco model that you've got which is very unique you know to the valuation of a company if you could just explain that to our listeners certainly anupam thank Thanks for uh, that question. So, Opco Finco is a valuation framework, first and foremost, which aligns. the framework basically to our invest which is aligned with the investment philosophy of the team uh, which is to buy great business at attractive value and what is great business is one that has attributes three attributes superior returns on incremental capital scalable and well managed so obviously lot of investors talk about as you would have heard superior roic is desirable but then how to value there are lot of companies that have superior roic how to value that superior roic is what the opco finco framework tries to do and the the origination of the idea if i can share uh, with you that which would also help in understanding the framework is when growing up as a kid we my father and grandfather we had a store garment store and often the discussion at home would be should we buy the neighboring store or the store across the street if it was up for sale and so 
the calculation would be okay i'll just use some uh, standard numbers mm. the store would cost 1 crore of rupees sure. he'll have to put in working capital of 1 crore in that so 2 crore rupees and at those times 80s and 90s the rate of interest uh, that you can lend or borrow uh, would be about 2% a month wow. call it 25% a year wow. yeah round figure so 2 crores by 25% would be 50 lakhs is the cost of capital itself and so the calculation would be how much over and above that can we earn and if any amount even if we can earn 10 20 lakhs over and above that was considered very valuable but the 50 lakhs was considered that's you know worth 2 crore rupees because mm-hmm. that's ultimately you can earn without any additional effort that was the cost of capital itself so that's how we approach any company's valuation rather than naming a particular company let's think of a very well run multinational food products company sure. yeah now they typically outsource most of their manufacturing and working capital is de minimis but there is some amount of some number of factories and whatnot so let's put all that capital deployed so split this company or any company into two entities finco and opco Okay. the plant and machinery would go in finco and so would the working capital would go in finco so everything that is operating capital required for operations goes in finco's the revenue and ebitda is assigned to opco from which the opco is deemed to pay a cost of capital for usage uh, i want to cop cost of capital but operating lease cost for use of the plant and machinery it's like instead of buying a car if you lease a car you make a lease payment that yeah, includes yeah. two components the uh, financial cost element as well as the amortization element so similarly right. you pay that cost for use of plant and machinery and you pay a working capital a uh, usage cost uh, so the cost of capital element in both these costs are equated to the cost of capital of the firm sure. now once you've paid this cost to the finco what is left in opco after paying taxes is nothing but the cash flows associated with excess return on invested capital right because the cost of capital has already been paid to the finco entity and the present value of these cash flows of opco if you project forward and present value it that is nothing but the value of excess roic in the business so this way we are able to quantify the value of excess roic now finco's valuation is very straightforward with a valuation 101 would tell you if cost of capital equals return on capital which by design is the structure of this model then growth is immaterial Correct. the value of that entity is simply one time invested capital yeah. if you were to use let's say 11% as cost of capital in india then one divided by 11% 9 is the multiple appropriate multiple for that entity sure. whereas for the opco entity the multiple can be 20 30 50 60 depending on the sustainability of the franchise sustainability of the cash flows and various other aspects so the market as of today when we look at the indian market while it's trading at about 20 21 times pe multiple the opco multiple is about 35 36 times because 25% odd of the value of uh, the market is in finco and larger is the proportion of a company's value in finco the greater is the disparity between p multiple and the opco multiple so in case of the multinational company which is very efficient with capital uh, the difference is barely anything they might be trading at 50 p multiple but they are also trading at 52 opco multiple yeah. whereas a company which is not which has its own plant machinery and is not efficiently using it the p multiple might appear at let's say 20 times which is similar to the market or a steep discount to this uh, other company but the cash flow multiple might be in hundreds of times so we would focus more on the opco multiple rather than on the p multiple yeah, i mean folks 
can you come back and do like one more episode just on this because I just love I've, we've never done this on Paisa Paisa we've never gone so deep in valuation I like this I mean this approach is very appealing because it's unique it's not one of the ways that you would typically tend to value a company I mean again theory tells you that the present value of today the whole discounted cash flow model whereas this one is a little bit more specific because you've got a lot of management finesse involved out there that's reflective in the way that they run the business so I hope Certainly. you can come back in the rest of this year and we can go into depth on absolutely this. would be a pleasure Ajish 12,000 crore per month of SIP flows now almost every month now for fairly reasonably long period of time my guess is I think when you were here in our oldest route we were at probably half that amount if yes, not yes, yes. lower than that um, thousands of mutual funds for all you know for everyone to choose from passive versus active that whole debate that's going on you think for the investor, you know, someone who's new, who's probably listening to this episode and considering to come into the market, he's spoiled for choice. And, you know, what would be your advice to him now if he's going to set up his investment long term? I mean, somebody who's just starting off. Somebody who's just starting off. He's just sees, where do I start here? You know, someone tells me only do passive. Someone says, no, you got to do active. There are thousands in equity mm. schemes and there's people say that interest rates are high, so you should put in debt. Mm. How would you just demystify things for him and tell him that this should be the way forward? As See, I think that, uh, you know, I, I tell people a lot of times that if you don't know what to buy, you buy the market. Uh, meaning that if you just know, and sometimes on a lighter note, I do say that, you know, for just buying some three, four hundred good stocks, we have three, four thousand different mm. funds. So I completely empathize with an investor. And there's a lot of literature on making choices. In fact, uh, when there are too many choices, people end up making suboptimal decisions. They even make decisions they won't stick to. So there are many challenges for investors. I completely empathize. And I think that is why listening to you, consulting an advisor, you know, speaking to the friendly neighborhood distributor, I think all of those things help. But if somebody insists on starting on their own, they have just no idea where to start, I would say just buy Nifty 500, right? Because at least that gets you into the market, right? And then once you wet your feet, you understand, uh, you know, then you can make, take the trouble to acclimatize or to familiarize yourself. Like Prashant gave a whole, you know, thought process in terms of how companies are valued. There are, uh, and obviously there are managers with credentials who have beaten the uh, benchmark. So why would you sell yourself short? Why would you just stick to the index when you have potentially people who can do much better? But I think to be able to on your own uh, make the right choices, it might take some time. So either you read literature, listen to people, trust and start with someone who sounds uh, bankable. If you can't do that, at least get started by Nifty 500 because that's the whole market. Nifty 500 is, I think, about 96% of the market cap. So you just bought the asset class, you get a foot in the door and then you study further. Maybe that's a good way to start. There you go, folks. Buy the Nifty 500. That, um, I think there are quite a few ETFs or index funds index that funds, cover yes, that absolutely. Um, for you so to the start The beauty of our industry is that for 500 rupees, you can buy the whole market. Yeah. And continue it as a habit. I think that's one thing that I, yeah. some people just miss it out. Just yeah. continue that as a habit for probably yeah. the rest of your life and just leave it be. Yeah. And so once you learn, then your next step could be to get a good flexi-cap, multi-cap mutual fund and understand that, okay, this has the potential to do better. Yeah. And there's so much to choose from. No? I mean, you can start off with a basic index fund and then add on to that and then build your portfolio. So folks, on that note, we're going to take a small break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Prashant's um, outlook, of course, for India, what's looking interesting to Ashish in the new year and much more right after this short break. And welcome back. Okay, Prashant, your view um, on markets, India, do you see this, I mean, 2020, 
2022 was the surprising outperformance that India showed. Do you see it sustaining top-down, bottom-up? Let's talk about that. Certainly. So it's not just 22, but even 21. Uh, Indian markets um, outperformed quite substantially the emerging markets peers. But obviously, that is all past. Uh, now, there is a universal consensus that is built that the outlook for Indian economy is uh, stronger than almost anywhere else in the world. And we agree uh, with that. But, you know, the consensus is also on the back of the market's performance. It's not that the markets have performed well because of this view of investors. It's the other way around. Usually, the investors form this view because the markets have done well. Having said that, if you were to break it into two components, the economy and the market and think of them as two different. So the economy uh, in India is expected and would very likely do much better than most of the rest of the world because we can go into the problems that the world is facing between Russia-Ukraine war, the COVID uh, surge in China, first the COVID zero and now the COVID surge in China and, uh, and the inflation and the Fed response to that. For a combination of these reasons, obviously, uh, different parts of the world are suffering uh, to different extents. India also has some negative impact of these, but to a much lesser extent as there are other mitigating factors. Uh, one of them being India is a lot more domestically driven economy than many other countries around the world. So the economy could continue to do better than most of the rest of the world. Compared to its own past, I think it's hard to grow much, or at least right now, people aren't expecting that it would grow much faster than the 6 to 7% growth that uh, in real terms that we've seen over the last 10, 20 years. But that itself would be very good uh, because that would mean nominal growth of double digits. And that can now coming to the uh, second thing about the second part about the market. Uh, the market is expecting this to be there. So double digit nominal GDP growth to deliver mid-teens earnings growth are what the expectations are right now. As you've been in the market for long enough to know that uh, every year analyst community would forecast a mid-teens growth for corporate earnings. Yeah. Uh, so there, I don't think that, uh, you know, that is sustainable for uh, the growth that we've seen over the last two years, yes. which have been 23% earnings growth. That is sustainable, not that market is counting on that. But I think low double digits to mid-teens growth in earnings is sustainable. And if we do get that, I think it's reasonable to expect uh, double digit returns from Indian equity market from where we are today. And longer term, that's what the Indian markets have delivered. If you look at the start of the century, uh, the returns are just around double digit because that's also in line with the nominal GDP growth. And by the way, in dollar terms, the Indian market and the global markets all have pretty much delivered 6% returns in the last 22 odd years because that's in line also again with nominal GDP growth rate of most of these uh, regions. And that's a reasonable expectation going forward. A lot of people miss the dollar part out. Can you look at that on a big picture basis over the longer term, it kind of evens out. Ashish, what's looking interesting to you in this absolutely brand new year? What are you tracking? Whether you look at it as mid cap, large cap, small cap, flows, sectors, whichever. What's looking good to you? See, I think that, uh, you know, so clearly we are not a sectoral investor. And uh, so we, we don't start any year by thinking that this sector is likely to do well. At the same time, not even thinking that, okay, this particular segment of the market uh, will do well. But if you give me the liberty of, you know, thinking about slightly longish period and embellishing that with some kind of uh, trends, even now, even before looking into the future, what is happening is that structurally, if you take last 10, 15 years, uh, mid-cap index, mid-cap 150, actually it turns out is the best performing benchmark by a mile after all the ups and downs of the last two, three years. So we are not at a historic high point right now. Yeah. In fact, in the last year, year or so, mid-caps have actually underperformed, right? But if you were to stack up 
निफ्टी फिफ्टी नेक्स्ट फिफ्टी मिड कैप वन फिफ्टी स्मॉल कैप टू फिफ्टी निफ्टी फाइव हंड्रेड यू स्टैकअप एवरी थिंग वट यू विल फाइंड इज दैट मिड कैप वन फिफ्टी इज आउट परफॉर्म बाई माइल द सेकेंड थिंग इज दैट इफ यू रियली लुक एट स्ट्रक्चरली स्ट्रक्चरली इफ यू सी वेदर इट इज इंडियाज राइजिंग पर कैपिटा इनकम यू टॉक अबाउट नॉन लेंडिंग फाइनेंशियल विच ऑपरेट इन सेविंग्स एंड इन्वेस्टमेंट यू टॉक अबाउट कंज्यूमर डिस्क्रेशनरी यू टॉक अबाउट द गवर्नमेंट्स प्रोडक्शन लिंक इंसेंटिव यू नो एवरीथिंग टू डू विथ टेक्सटाइल्स एंड एनसीलियरीज एंड ऑल इट सो हैपन्स दैट अ लॉट ऑफ द स्ट्रक्चरल एक्टिविटी ऑल्सो इज इन दी स्पेस विच इज लार्ज विच हैज अ लार्ज प्री पॉन्डरेंस ऑफ मिड साइज एंड स्मॉल साइज Uh, companies and lastly i think one interesting thing and i would invite prashant to add to this is that generally the this segment of the market has a large heterogeneity of business models which means that for an active manager that should be the happy hunting ground because you know where there is a wide heterogeneity of business models in these sectors is where you can actually produce uh, outperformance and if you see our own track record the maximum outperformance has come in the uh, mid and small cap space so i would not i would refrain from telling anybody that okay next one year this is what we'll do well but just as some food for thought i think it's always exciting to track this space more than the others that's how i would put it maybe prashant would like to add something i guess well i'll just say that see at uh, index level it's reasonable to expect going forward say that large mid small they'll all perform in line even if you make that assumption the alpha opportunity or opportunity to outperform is lot higher in mid and small from a fund manager's perspective so if the total return that can be generated is some total of the market return or the index return plus the alpha then the opportunity for overall larger return is higher in mid and small however the other side also is true so opportunity or the risk of losing more money is also in uh, a higher in mid and small because the efficiency of the larger cap which reduces the alpha potential works both ways yeah. uh, it is just as difficult for a large cap manager to underperform as it is to outperform whereas in mid and small cap if the manager isn't right uh, the risk of a uh, heavy destruction of uh, capital is uh, just as high symmetrically higher yeah. uh, as the potential for upside yeah i'm going to approach the same thing in a slightly different way if you might you know just give me 2 minutes here because prashant you're an entrepreneur yourself the mid cap small cap sector that you're talking about ashish you is also full of a lot of entrepreneurs right and the one thing that you hear a lot um these days we are we are recording this in december a lot of people from the us typically visit here at this time so many of them are coming after 3 years they can't believe what they're seeing Absolutely. you're an entrepreneur yourself you've seen how india has grown and there is this entire buzz about you know naya india whatever it is and someone like you who's been who's been seeing this for a while you're probably even talking to few people who've come here after 3 years and they're like wow i can't believe this upi i can just transfer things here and there there's a lot of excitement about how things are shaping out in india a do you believe in that and b how do you see that shaping out going forward no i used to, i mean i am an nri and when <laughs> i used to live in the us i would come once every year or other year and it would be amazing how you know you can actually uh, feel perceive a tangible difference whereas if you live in the west obviously things move gradually so it's it's somewhat like you know the growth of 6-7% in Three years becomes more than twenty percent. So the standard of living, when it improves at a scale for a country at a scale of India by twenty percent, it is massive change and a very perceptible change. As in contrast to if you're in the West, where the real GDP growth is two percent. So in a three-year time period, six percent difference. It's less 
perceptible. And so that is something to be expected. And yes, uh, the adoption of new age technologies has been quite rapid in India, even in comparison to many of the other emerging market countries. And so that is very welcome and that is contributing to the what we call new India. Yeah. You think for entrepreneurs today, what are the biggest opportunities? Let's say, you know, when it comes to entrepreneurism itself is cost of capital, which used to always be a thing for Indian company. I mean, you spoke about how it used to be too, it still is, I think, 2% in the unorganized sector. I think our long bond 10 years is at about 7%. You think all those things that hold entrepreneurism back in India, is that changing? And will that really change the profile of either the Sensex or the Nifty in the next 10, 15, 20 years? See, that is changing, but there's a long way to go, like with a lot of things in India, right? So, you know, cost of capital is not the biggest hurdle. In terms of opportunities, opportunities exist across sectors because in India, there is really no old sector, no old economy sector. Because in everything, the consumption levels are very low uh, or at the lower end compared to the global averages. Uh, automobile is a old economy sector worldwide. But in India, you know, automobile penetration is in yeah. single digits or so on. Insurance is old economy globally. In India, still the penetration is so low. Across the various insurance lines, that is a sunrise sector. So the opportunities are there in every sector. The capital is not a problem. And, you know, entrepreneurial spirit in India is as high or higher than almost anywhere else. Yeah. The ease of doing business was a big issue. And as we all know, we've made rapid strides over the last decade or so from 142nd rank to 63rd rank. However, 63rd rank means there are 62 countries where the ease of doing business is better than in India. Mm. So we have to, in India, we have to stop thinking or we should start thinking of ease of doing business like cricket rather than football. In football, we are all accepting of the fact that we might be 63rd country and we football, uh, the soccer cup just ended. And we don't expect ourselves to be participating. We all were rooting for Argentina yeah. as, as our team, right? Whereas in cricket, we in India cannot tolerate that we aren't winning. We won't win the World Cup, right? We want to be number one. So we should have that mindset of being number one in ease of doing business. And we are on the right path. We made, uh, you know, rapid progress, but there's still a long way to go. As we move further towards that position, you'll see entrepreneurial uh, ventures accelerate much faster than what we've seen over the past. Yeah, sobering thought. Ashish, same question to you. Let's look at it from the flow side. Okay, mm -hmm. how are you seeing this entire, call it financialization of savings or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, shaping out. How do you see this going you know, going forward, we've we're at we spoke about how we're at twelve thousand crores. Do you think again this is a ebbs and you know cycles? Ki market chalta hai to paisa hai. Market nahi chalega to paisa band ho Or is there something fundamental happening in your view? What's looking good? You know, or what's changing? What's not changing? Let's look at it that way. See, a couple of things. Uh, I think that uh, the industry widely reports, or you know, media widely reports something called net inflows. I think instead of looking at net inflows, to understand what you are asking, one should look at inflow and outflow uh, separately. So if you look at the inflow element, like you mentioned, 13,000 crores SIP and is rising consistently. And I think it is set to rise consistently because it has become almost like a de facto mode of investing. Because the first point is that because of structurally low interest rates, uh, because of change in habits and preferences, uh, people have now kind of decided that capital market is the way to go. And within capital markets, one is direct investing, but equally salient 
uh, is equity mutual funds. So given that it has become one of the prominent choices, you can imagine that this whole SIP flow, uh, I think more and more people will join. It will become, it is going to sustain. That's how I would put it. The other part, which I would say for lack of any other words, a discretionary flow, that how much at a given point in time, how much are people deciding to invest other than what is there in their SIP? That's the discretionary flow. I think discretionary flow does get influenced by how the market behaves. And it's counterintuitive, but you know, people are very, very attached to how their investment has done in the last one year. You know, so I, I ask people a very simple thing, that 30 year average of Sensex is 12% compounded. Then I throw a riddle at them, that if 30 year average is 12% compounded, then how can you fetch more than 12% from the very same market? So obviously when the recent past average is well below 12, then somewhere in the near future, it has to go about 12 for you to catch up and that's how you kind of get a better average. So logically speaking, you should be investing more when the last one year return is bad. But the discretionary flow tells me that people don't think like that. And it's well documented, you know, we think economics thinks people are rational and logical, but uh, there's a lot of science which says people are, you know, emotional and psychological. So I think the discretionary flow reacts a lot to the market. I hope to see that sometime it will change. And as generations pass, you know, more and more people become smarter, more and more people are more used to how uh, markets behave. So I would say that mutual funds are here to stay. There is a part of the flow which gets impacted by how, how market behaves, but there is a significant part which is actually uh, sustainable. And outflows are something which I don't really worry about because what happens is that in the outflow, public ka paisa, you know, right? It's the outflow, meaning there will be some outflow at any point in time. It's just that the outflow should not be a reaction to how market behaves because people's investing journeys or investing careers are much longer than what they really think. You know, if there's somebody who's listening to us and is 30 years old, their investment career is like 50 years ahead. Yeah. Right. Uh, so a lot of things in this, but I think uh, we are going to see higher and higher participation. That's how I would put it. I look forward to that. Last two questions. What's new for White Talk in the new year? Any new schemes in mind uh, on the mutual fund side? Anything on AIF, PMS, anything on that? No, so see, I think uh, Prashant puts it very, very interestingly. Uh, that, you know, there is PMS, AIF, uh, mutual funds. I think once uh, somebody asked him, so he said that if you're passionate about playing cricket, uh, then you should be able to play uh, T20 one day as well as uh, test match. So not so much in terms of how fast you play and the format, but the point is that we are passionate about managing equities. Uh, so I think that's why we uh, participate in all uh, formats. And since you mentioned that we've just created a mutual fund, I think till now what we have been doing uh, is just to get a basic range of products in place. Because uh, track record takes time, you know, I mean, time only passes with time. So if we create products in 2022, then in 2025, they have three year tr uh, track record. So keeping that basic range in mind, till now we have done flexi cap, mid cap, tax plan, large cap, those kind of basic products. I think now we'll do balanced advantage and small cap and then maybe take a pause. The other thing which we've been very passionate about, but is currently subject to regulatory uh, scenario, which is that, you know, you know that uh, from our Singapore asset management company, we manage global emerging markets. And I think Indians would benefit a lot because a lot of emerging markets are kind of complementary to India. You know, markets which are driven by commodities, they are complementary to India. Markets which are very big manufacturer and exporter uh, to the Western world, they are also complementary to India. But currently, you know that there is, you know, we don't have the ability to send money as a mutual fund. You're not allowed to uh, send money outside. It's subject yeah. to SEBI and RBI regulations. So I think what we are most looking forward to is that once the regulatory scenario changes, uh, once the Forex limits are removed, we'll eventually, you know, would love to manage global emerging markets for domestic investors. 
Okay. And my last question, something I'm trying out in the new year with our guests. So please, you know, bear with me for that <laughs> slightly off topic kind of thing. Any stuff that you guys are reading, watching, anything that you would like to recommend to our listeners when it comes to books. So it could just be, you know, some Netflix TV series or something of that sort. Anything that you guys have. So my favorite is uh, Game of Thrones and the prequel or sequel to House that of, is the House of uh, Dragon. House of the Dragons. Yeah, yeah. And you, have you read the books by any chance? No, I haven't had the <laughs> patience to read the book. No. <laughs> it's good stuff. Ashish, anything? So, I love reading. What I'm reading right now is a book by the you know founder of Carlyle Group, that is David M. Rubenstein. So, he recently wrote a book called How to Invest. Title is misleading. Uh, but in the book, he has interviewed, uh, say, Sam Zell for real estate. Uh, he's interviewed Larry Fink uh, for, you know, uh, BlackRock. Uh, so he's interviewed stalwarts of the investing world. Uh, he's interviewed Ray Dalio, for example. There are at least 15 to 16 interviews in the book, uh, which are all the who's who across asset classes. And, you know, what do they think of those asset classes and how did they build their uh, investing practice? Uh, so I think there are some very, very good insights uh, in that book. Please tell me that you do something beyond that also when you unwind. You know, you just gave such a nice example of Game of Thrones and House of Dragons. Something or something. I don't know what. Anything that you have out there? No, so I watched the, World, I, I watched, I watched the World Cup. And yeah. I think everybody was really, really uh, praising crazy and following yeah. Messi. But my hero was the goalkeeper actually, Martinez. <laughs> <laughs> and so what he did later of, also, uh, I think. But yeah, yeah. it's fabulous. Chalo, so folks, there you go. A um, lot of tips out there, a lot of nerdy, geeky stuff also on this episode for those of you who track valuations. And of course, a great take on India. That is a wrap on this episode of Pesa Pesa. My guest, Prashant Kemga, founder. Vaito and Ashish from my CEO of Vaito Capital Management. Ashish, Prashant, gentlemen, thank you so much for starting our podcast on such a strong note for the new year. Thank you for sharing your insights. Thank you, the Anupam. And thanks to all your listeners. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Anupam. And listeners, if you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where you get all our video episodes. You can check out other interesting podcasts on the IBM Network. You can listen to us on the IBM Podcast app or ibmpodcast.com. You can also follow us on our social media. We are IBM Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to reach out to me, folks, I'm your host, Anupam Gupta, B50 on Twitter. Folks, thank you so much, really, for listening to Pesa Vaisa. No material on the show should be considered as financial advice. The material on the show is for informational purposes only. Please consult a financial advisor before taking any investment decision.